Paint the fucking world. 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 Welcome to Paint the Fucking World, a podcast for artists, by artists. I am Visual Assault, and I'm joined here by Marco Mendoza, a.k.a. Disastrous Nolan. How are we doing today, brother? Doing pretty good, man. Same old, same old. Uh, awesome. Well, I appreciate you stopping in here and hanging out with me today. Um, I'm just going to jump right in here and start asking you a bunch of questions. I have been a fan of yours for quite some time now. Uh, we, we found each other on TikTok, and I know you do like your traditional art and your digital art and you also have a streetwear brand and do you have a full-time job as well i do yeah i'm actually a cna at, at the local hospital here and they actually ended up changing my schedule i used to be uh 312 so i'd only work three days 12 days or 12 hours a day and then so i have four days off man and that would give me a lot of time to focus on like all my side projects but they recently changed my schedule for five days. So now I'm there Monday through Friday, eight in the morning till four 30 at night or like four 30 PM. Um, so I only have like two days to recuperate. So like right after work, I come home and I'm like directly working on all my projects, man. It's like, it's gotten insane. Oh dude, when do you find time to sleep? <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll sleep when I'm dead, man. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. That's, that's pretty much how the life of an artist is. It's rise and grind every day. I mean, I'm a full-time dad, so my three-year-old keeps me on my toes all day long until my wife gets home, and then it's uh, out in the studio until sometimes 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, so I know how that goes for sure. Um, So, you know, most artists, when they're asked, you know, when they started making art, they always say they've been doing it since childhood, but when in your life did you feel like uh, you really started taking art seriously? Um... Oh, uh, that's, it's a little, it's a little hard to actually pinpoint. Um, what I can tell you is like how it actually kind of started or how I feel the earliest memory of me starting this like, artistic journey. Um, I was, uh, my mom would, act, would work a lot. And like, uh, before I was actually able to go to school, my mom would drop me off at my grandmother's house. And, um, and even after I started going to school, man, like after after I would get off to school, I would go directly to my grandmother's stuff. So I spent a lot of time with her. And because of that, I spent a lot of time watching a lot of the things that she would watch. And one of her favorite shows was um, the um, um, – oh, it's the Bob Ross show. I already forgot the name of it. It's oh, a, oh, Joy's the Painting. The Joy of Painting. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the Joy yeah, yeah. So I grew up watching a lot of Bob Ross, right? And when I was a kid, it always fascinated me how he was able to make this, like, blank. Because at the time, I didn't know what a canvas was, right? So I just saw this, like, blank piece of paper, if you will, uh, at the at the beginning of the episode and at the end of the episode. it would He would create, like, this crazy masterpiece, you know? It, would, it just would blow my mind. So one day, I kind of, like, told my mom, I'm like, hey, um... Can I, I could I get some like art supplies and my my mom was actually like really into the idea we didn't have a lot of money um but when my mom kind of like went all out on something like she went all out right so uh with me asking her and her being kind of excited with me asking her for like some paints and stuff she went out and like purchased this um Crayola easel I don't know if you guys remember like that oh yeah 
right? It's like this plastic Crayola, Crayola easel. And then um, a, a, like a little collection of those uh, dollar store paints, man, like the ones that are in those little plastic containers that are really, really cheap. So she got me some of those and then um, like um, a Crayola style paintbrush. So like, you know, those really thick bristled kind of cheapy paintbrushes. But I mean, I was a kid, right? So Yeah, those paintbrushes are the last of the apocalypse, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, she got me that stuff, and I was really stoked, man, because I was like, this is it. You know, this is what I want to do. Uh, I want to be just like Bob Ross. So I I went at it, and I tried. And as as you would expect, I failed, like, miserably because I had no experience whatsoever. And it actually discouraged me, and I kept trying and trying, and it was just not coming out like what I saw on TV. So I got really sure. discouraged, and I, I didn't touch it. But my mom actually noticed that I didn't touch it. And it must have been like, it felt like an eternity for a kid, right? But it was probably like a week or so that I that my mom didn't see me up there. So she came up and decided, you know, like to ask me like, hey, I noticed you haven't like touched your stuff and it cost me a lot of money. Like I, I'd like you to use it. What happened? And so I explained to her like the whole reason why and um, the fact that it's, it wasn't coming out like Bob Ross's and I got how how I got discouraged and all that. And um, it, this moment was one of those things that, you know, like you keep with you for the rest of your life. My mom actually ended up telling me and explaining that um, the fact of the or the reason why Bob Ross was so good is because of his experience and his practice, the fact that he practiced. Right. It was always practice. And so she kind of uplifted me and uh, allowed me to get back into it. But that's honestly like the earliest memory I remember of me actually getting into the process or going into like that artistic journey. And you were like, what, what, like, how old were you at this point? Um, I want to say like four or five, to be honest, man. Wow. So you were, you were young, but you had that, uh, that drive to paint that, you know, that, that early in life. That's awesome. <laughs> Thanks. So I, you know, you wanted to paint like Bob Ross and, you know, to where you are now, how has your art changed over time? Oh, um, so, like, I guess, like, the, the it's, it's actually changed dramatically. And I, I remember specific points in my time of when it was actually evolving. And uh, as, as you know, Bob Ross is really big into landscapes, and that's what I remember seeing a lot. So I started trying to replicate some of those landscapes and stuff, you know, and um from there, I got really, really into dinosaurs, you know, like, um, so I started uh, sketching and drawing a lot of dinosaurs and stuff. And yeah, that Jurassic Park era. Yeah, yeah, actually, <laughs> yeah, Jurassic Park definitely had a lot of influence in me. I was already into dinosaurs younger, like before the movie came out, but then the movie came out and it just got me even more fascinated. Um, but it also like really terrified me because you've never really seen that type of like you don't you've never really seen a move like that and they were so realistic in the movie i actually have a funny story about um a vacation that we took over in las vegas uh we stayed over at the circus circus hotel one of my favorite hotels over in las vegas man and um they had like some small animatronic thing i don't know if it had anything to do with the movie because it was around the period that the movie came out but they had like some animatronic dinosaurs and my mom wanted me to take a picture with these stupid dinosaurs. So they had a velociraptor man and they had like, you know, ropes there. So no one would like climb on the stuff or whatever. 
<laughs> like they had this velociraptor and i was tiny i was a small small kid you can grab me with like one hand you know what i mean so my uncle ended up grab uh picking me up and trying to put me and mount me on this velociraptor so my mom would take a picture and um i i got instantly like freaked out because one i saw the ropes and knew i wasn't supposed to go back there and two this velociraptor was moving and i was not expecting it freaking out <laughs> I was not having it at all, man. Sure. No, no. That's, yeah. That would be terrifying, especially when you, you're watching Jurassic Park and you're not quite like to the point where, like, oh, this isn't real. <laughs> right. So, yeah. from the dinosaurs, man, um, I, I, like I said, I got really into dinosaurs. And then after that, for some weird reason, I got really, really into birds. So, I actually found myself throughout the process of going from like point A to point B. Uh, in elementary school, I would go to the library and I would look up a lot of, or I would try to find a lot of like educational books uh, that had a lot of pictures. So it wasn't me trying to learn about the animal or anything. It's just that they had a lot of pictures, whether they were like paintings or drawings or actual photographs, but they gave me a lot of reference to play with. And so I found myself drawing like loons and ducks and like uh, pigeons. And for some reason, I don't really remember getting too much into predatory birds. They were just I guess like all any other birds, owls would probably be the closest to to be predatory that I actually got into drawing. And then uh, from uh, from birds specifically, birds it just turned into like animals, and then like uh, fauna and flora and like just you know the world and stuff. Um, I remember one of the coolest stories that I have, or one of the coolest memories I have in sixth grade in middle school was um, I we had an assignment. And one of the things with me is with school, if we had an assignment, I would I hated I hate following the rules. <laughs> like if they had if they asked me to do something, like I had to do it in my style or my way. And for, for this particular thing, I painted three wolves. And it was just the three wolf heads. And I don't specifically remember what it was that the assignment was about, except for you know what we were painting. But I knew that uh, the thing that I specifically wanted to do was with the wolf heads and the size. And that was something that my art teacher was actually really concerned about. She uh, completely underestimated my ability uh, because of how big the, the painting was. And I'll be honest, man, I wasn't like the best at doing what I was told and uh, putting turning in my work and stuff. So she didn't really have much evidence that I would actually finish this project, right? But I was like, no. I'm painting these wolves for me. This is mine. I don't care about the grade. So I was going to finish it. So I took my time. Uh, and I got like little brushes to do the fur and all that stuff. And uh, it got to the point where I actually impressed myself the way it was coming out. And I rarely do that. I hate all of my work. But <laughs> The curse of an artist right there. <laughs> but yeah. I was really impressed, man. And uh, once I finished it, my teacher was actually really impressed with the, how it came out. And like I said, like super underestimating me that she wanted to keep it. She's like, hey, can I keep it and as an example to show all the other classes? Like uh, this, you're, you're in sixth grade and this, you know, you, you were able to create this thing. And I looked at her and was like, no, this is mine. I'm talking about <laughs> Like I painted it for me. <laughs> I don't yeah. So then she explained, you know, oh, I don't know if you understand the opportunity this is for you. You know, you'll, you'll as a, at a young kid, you'll get your name out and blah, blah, blah. And I was, all I was hearing was, 
she wants to steal my painting. The student that I worked on for like half the semester wanted to take it from me. I'm like, no. <laughs> it's the same bullshit we deal with as artists today. Oh, the exposures and the opportunities. You know, no. give me your work for free. And now, now fuck off. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, this is my artwork. You, you got to pay me for it or I'm taking it home. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately man um when it came down or when it came time for all of us kids to actually pick up our projects after they got graded right they got graded um mine wasn't there and i couldn't get a straight answer from her and um i just i just kind of gave in so oh uh, art theft <laughs> right? it was an art heist <laughs> that was your mona lisa man that was dude. Oh man, that's crazy. Yeah, that's a cool journey. Yeah. Yeah, from from the from the animals, dude. Um, like in middle school and stuff. And I and I experimented a lot too, man. Um, I got so I got like another story that happened in middle school as well with another art teacher that actually taught us so many cool techniques. Things that these are like experiences that you keep forever. You know what I mean? They get embedded in your head. And uh, I'll never forget his name, um, and and you'll probably know why. But his uh, the my art teacher's name was Mister Mister Bonner, and um, yeah, <laughs> a lot of them. But the reason why I remember his name was because of how influential he was in my art um, evolution, if you will, my my journey, man, and. Um, he, he kind of helped us with a bunch of different things. Like I remember one of the techniques he showed us, which was really, really weird to me in my head initially, because it went against everything that I taught myself was he had us, um, get a figure and I can't remember the figure, unfortunately, but let's just say like the Mona Lisa, we, we brought that up early. So let's say if he, he gives you a, a scan of the Mona Lisa and, um, your, your assignment is to draw it or replicate it, but you're supposed to do it upside down. So the picture is right side up. You have to do it upside down. And oh, interesting. So, yeah, I was just like, what? You know, I was in sixth, seventh grade, and I was like, not. I couldn't comprehend that. I was like, how am I supposed to do this? But I also really like to challenge. So I did it, and um, I actually did complete the assignment. And uh, it wasn't like the best, but it, I was just so intrigued. And there was a lot of things like that that he taught us um, that were actually really cool. So yeah. from there. Um, you know, hitting middle or uh, high school, I started getting into like a, a lot of like anime and stuff. So I began to draw a lot more cartoony, a lot more anime style. Like I would draw like uh, Gohan and uh, Vegeta and stuff from DBZ. And then um, I I hung out with a lot of girls and they liked um, they liked a lot of like the uh, cartoon characters. And so sure. I drawing like, you know, Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and all them stuff. And I would just give it to them because... Um, I didn't at the time in high school. I was really rebellious, and I always thought that uh, I hated the corporate idea of selling art. At the time, you know, like I just wanted to kind of be like get away from all that, just because I thought it was taint. You know, I would get tainted if I did. And I appreciate. I loved how much people actually enjoyed my art. So I found a lot more enjoyment of like doing something, spending my time on something, and then giving it away. Especially if I knew somebody like was into that or wanted that piece, you know, it just sure. brought a lot of joy, man. But it wasn't until then, you know, that I decided to like get away from what most would be would consider traditional, and I do like um, anime and stuff like that. 
And then um, I later on in my high school years, I wanted to, I made a goal for myself that I unfortunately didn't achieve, but I wanted to do hyper realism. So I started okay. faces and I started doing I never did full bodies, really. It was usually like probably just busts the most, but I wanted mm. to get like, hyper realistic. But my ADHD, man, or what I would call my ADHD brain, right, um, would never allow me time to sit or be patient enough to take time for one piece. I'd have to, like, bust it out, finish it, and then if it took more than a day, I would never finish it. So I would try to finish it that day, you know? So I kind of was like, all right, I guess I'm not doing hyperrealism. It's fine. And um, going from there, from there. And when I moved up to Alaska, man, um, I got really, really into painting. Uh, and I got I like I got back into it and I got serious into painting. So like doing acrylic has been my thing lately, but I got really into abstract and and then I found you, dude. And like I was so into your style because I'm blushing. I'm blushing. <laughs> from where I started when I came to Alaska with my uh, abstract slowly tweaking it i saw your stuff and i was like oh my god like that street art that pop street art that you're doing is exactly where i was headed and i wanted to get to so i like instantly fell in love with all of your stuff man and i was like hell yeah this is literally where i'm going and like you you've and you've been a lot a big inspiration in like the my, my evolution honestly so i feel the same way about you man i really love your work so I, you know, I, I think we're, it's a mutual beneficial friendship for sure, because I, I look at some of the things you do and I'm like, well, how the fuck did he do that? That's amazing. You know? And uh, yeah, I, I agree with you hundred percent. You know, I, I look at your color choices and the way, you know, cause you work with these super bright, vibrant colors all the time. And I'm like, okay, I absolutely love that. I got to try it. I got to, I got to figure out how he was doing that and like wrap my brain around it. And like, uh, you know, try to emulate what you're doing and then, then take it and run with it myself. So yeah, dude, I, I, I a hundred percent feel you on that one. I, you inspire me as well. I appreciate that, man. Thanks. <laughs> um, how long have you lived in Alaska? Uh, I've been here for about eight years, man. So okay, um, it took me, I want to say about a year and a half or so of actually living here uh, to start getting back into art that's another thing with me man is i've been i've taken breaks i've taken different breaks throughout my life and the longest break i've had was actually before i moved up here was about five years of not doing anything not picking up a pencil paintbrush nothing and so when i moved up here um i i met an amazing amazing individual she's a good friend of mine uh her name is jessica calvin and um she's also a very like phenomenal artist and like we we clicked, we instantly clicked, and we had like this this good vibe, and we wanted to kind of like feed off of each other, kind of like what you're talking about, you know. And yeah. so we started kind of like going back and forth. Like I would do a piece, and she would do a piece, and we just go like crazy. Uh, she made she like did this phenomenal uh, cherry blossom piece that was huge. It's like the biggest painting at the time that I've ever seen anyone do, and she did it in my kitchen, man. And. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, wow, she's how is she doing this? So um, it was just super beautiful. And so like that was the point where I was like, I really have to step up my game. Like this is she's kicking my ass, you know, 
And so <laughs> we, we had that friendly banter, that friendly uh, um, competitive nature. And sure. at one point, I kind of told her, I was like, hey, we can probably do this, like, for real. And she's like, what do you mean? And I'm all, we could probably, like, sell our art. So here in Alaska, it's kind of a, well, at, at least the peninsula, right? It's a, it's kind of a fun little um, artist-friendly community. I mean, there is a couple, you know, like elitists out there or whatever, and it is a little bit uh, old school, but that's a different story. But the, they're, they're very artistic friendly. So I knew there was a, a way that we could do it. So um, me and her actually got together, got a small booth at a indoor swap meet in the middle of like buttfuck nowhere. <laughs> okay. But it was only like 75 bucks for the whole month, and it was only open on the weekends. So we were able to be there and just, you know, blast it on the socials like, hey, come on down. Um, we have a bunch of art. And I do a lot of the conventions here, and um, like the anime conventions are a big one. So I, I, at the time, I had a lot of extra anime, what I call anime paraphernalia. So I had a lot of stuffies, a lot of necklaces, like a lot of that merch. That would go to the conventions that would uh, give me finances and money to do my artistic stuff that wasn't really selling at the time, you know? Yeah, yeah. We filled up the booth with all my anime stuff, all my DVDs, all of my merch. And then we hung up all of our paintings, whether they were prints or actual originals. And we got a spot right next to the window of the entrance so the they actually let us display some of the stuff on the window it was really really cool um we didn't get much traffic but a lot of people were actually very much into the idea of there was a spot that had art that wasn't just like uh, secondhand stuff so that was really really cool i got to meet some really amazing people um this one individual came in with her father I don't know. She must have been like 13, if I remember correctly. She was really, really young, man. And her dad was like, yeah, she does art and this and stuff. So I started talking with them and um, they showed me some of her work. It was like amazing. And she was really into this piece that I have called, uh, I called it Twilight City. That was like the first thing that I looked and I was like, oh, that, that's all right. That's pretty good. It's not as bad as like all the other crap that I've done. Contract. <laughs> It's almost like a cityscape, but it's very, very abstract. So um, unless you're looking for it, like it's kind of obvious, but it's not. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Um, so I had a couple prints out there, and she was really digging it. So um, and again, like earlier, man, I'm I really into just giving my stuff away because I feel like if if I can inspire somebody, um, if I can invite if I can inspire somebody uh, to work on some stuff or to make something like my, my job is done. My job as an artist is done. Like that's what I thrive. And that's what I live for is just inspiring as many people. Right. And so um, I saw this individual and how much she was digging that piece. So I grabbed one of my prints, man, and I signed it for her and I slapped it in a frame because I had a couple extra frames in there. And uh, while they were talking with the dad, I slapped it in the frame and I gave it to her and you should have seen her eyes. They like lit up like crazy and the dad's like, oh, you, how much is that? And I'm like, no, no, I'm giving it to her. And she's like, he's like, for real? And I'm like, yeah. She's like solely, totally into it. And like the last thing I was, I told him was like, don't stop. Um, keep doing it. If you want a break, go for it. But don't take too long of a break. Keep at it, man. And so like she just like, they, they left really cool. And I kind of felt 
like I was hoping like that would that would be one of those moments that I had, you know, when I was younger is like a memorable moment. That's awesome. I, I you know what I, I I feel like a lot of times I will give more art than I sell away. I know that's not necessarily the case, but I feel like I give a ton away. Uh, like one year for Halloween, I, I did uh, custom Batman and Spider-Man paintings, and every Batman that came to my door got a custom Spider-Man painting or a yeah. Batman. And, and, you know, because I could just do it with spray paint real quick. And I just, I gave a whole bunch of them away because I'm like, you know, oh, you're Batman, check it out here. You can have a painting as well as some candy. And, you know, just the, the joy on people's faces sometimes is all you need as an artist. Right. I mean, okay, if, if somebody loves your, your piece that much that it just lights them up, I mean, forget about it. I, you could have it. You can have right. it because that right there is, is worth more than money can buy for me. And, you know, I definitely I definitely feel you there. Now, as a full-time artist now, I, I definitely I want to get paid. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I will, I'll make yeah. cheaper stuff and like have cheap prints available for those kind of things. But yeah, no, I, I feel you on that. It, it's definitely gratifying to be able to make somebody's day and possibly have that kind of a highlight moment in their life where yeah. it can it can literally change the course of what they're doing. Right. So you know, it, it, the, you know, those kind of things as an artist are important. You're you're out there trying to inspire people with what you're doing. And not trying to just, you know, you're not out there hustling, grinding just to make money, but also you're out there to to inspire, which is really, really amazing. Um, that once you got to Alaska, is that like the first time you had any interaction selling art, or did you ever sell art earlier than that? Oh man, um, so in my adult years, yes. However. There's actually a story that I have um, that I've kept kind of in the vault, uh, and not a lot of people actually know this story, but the earliest, the the first time, I should say, the first time I've ever sold my art uh, was actually um, a little bit after that whole initial story I uh, said in the beginning of this interview with um, the whole Bob Ross fiasco, the whole Bob Ross incident. <laughs> like, I want to say like a year or so after the fact, man. Um I was still, you know, doing my thing. And uh, I remember there was a thing going on in school with like lemonade stands. And uh, I wasn't really into the idea of doing a lemonade stand, but I understood and appreciated what they stood for, you know? And I also was really fascinated with the fact that like, I'm a kid and I can make money some somehow. And I can go to like the, the, the corner store and get me like some candy and some chips and stuff. Like I'm down with that. But one of the funniest things I remember is, is like they were talking about how oh yeah their their fathers make the lemonade stands and stuff. I'm like, I didn't grow up with a dad, dude. Like who's gonna make this thing for me, right? My mom works too much, so I was like, but I gotta get on on this, right? I gotta get in on this, like how to make money. So I was looking around and I'm like, well, what do I got? I got my toys. Oh, I don't want to sell my toys; those are mine. I don't want to sell. My mom bought me those, you know. It's like that's kind of messed up. Yeah, so, you sell your toys, you might end up with an ass beating. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. What the hell are you thinking? Yeah. So like, I, I was like, oh, I got all these paintings here. I got all these, like, pieces that I don't – they're just there taking up space and, like, collecting dust because, you know, as a kid, again, you don't really think of that as a possibility. So you're just churning them out because it's fun. And so I thought, 
why not? That's a, I got a lot of those. Why not? It's not going to hurt anything. So I'm in the process, right, of like toting that stupid plastic uh, Crayola easel out to the sidewalk. And I had this little like uh, wooden desk. Oh. And, uh, I would have all my stuff like laid out um, while I was painting and stuff. So again, I'm sitting there like toting it and pulling it, trying really hard not to make much noise because my mom's asleep. And I also felt like if she found out what I was doing, she'd get either try to talk me out of it or tell me it was a stupid idea or something. So I'm like, sure. I'm trying to do this is quiet. So I'm out there in in the uh, in the sidewalk, right? I got my table, I got my easel, so they can see like where it is that I do my stuff and and how I do it. I got my table with some of the I pulled out some of my favorite ones that I thought were really cool, and I plopped them on the table. And I thought, okay, so the kids sell their lemonade for like a quarter a cup. I'll sell mine for a quarter a piece of paper, right? So I was like, okay, quarter of painting. And I stayed out there, and like a kid, you know, the way the time frame worked, it just feels like forever you're out there forever, but it was probably like a couple hours. But I, I swear I was out there for like the majority of the day. And, and people were just looking and stuff, but I did sell one piece, and it was to this guy that came over and was very interested in what I was doing because it wasn't a normal thing, right? He just saw this kid out there with with uh the very minimal stuff so he goes out there and he's like asking me all these questions we have this conversation and he's just baffled about the fact that a kid my age is out there trying to hustle some art you know like finger and stuff and i can tell from what i remember of the situation that he wasn't really into the work it was more like intrigue and maybe appreciated what i was doing that he bought one He's like, yeah, I'll give you a quarter for a piece. And he picked out one that he liked, gave me a quarter for it. And like, I felt so good after that, just because I was like, this ain't no lemonade stand. Anyone can sell lemonade. (laughs) (laughs) You're out there grinding and hustling artwork. How old were you at this point? Like six or seven? Yeah, I was about six or seven years old. Jeez, man, you've been hustling and grinding since you were six and seven years old with your art. That's hilarious, man. Good for you. I, I hope that guy watches this podcast like, holy <laughs> shit, I know that guy. I bought <laughs> art from him. How crazy would it be if you still had that piece of art just tucked away in a book somewhere? And he's like, hey, hashtag disastrous Nolan if, that, if you're out there. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious, man. Oh, that, that's good shit. That is really good shit. Um, well, let's switch gears here. I know you work with a lot of traditional artwork. I mean, you're painting and stuff like that, but you also work digital. Do you have a favorite medium that you prefer to work in or just, it doesn't matter? Yeah, I, it doesn't matter, man. Um, I don't really have a, a specific one. Um, as, as long as I can work with my hands, like that's a big thing with me is, uh, I get bored real easy. So as long as I can move these, you know, so like I've done, I've done everything from like acrylic to, uh, to oil, to watercolor I've done digital art i've done like sculptures and clay stuff and uh woodworking uh i've done welding and like metal art i've done a bunch of different type of stuff man but um if i had to choose honestly just because of how liberating and freeing it is um i love painting like uh uh, specifically acrylics acrylics is probably my favorite and like anything that has to do with um abstract or freeform abstract just because there's no rules I can do whatever I want. I can pick whatever colors I want. No one's going to hassle me for it not looking like a dog or 
like San Francisco or anything, you know, so like it looks like what you want it to look like. Doesn't matter what I say it looks like either. If you see a cow in that, it's a cow. I painted shapes, bro. But you see a cow, good for you, you know? So yeah, abstracts where it's at, man. Um I would have to pick I'd have to pick painting. That's awesome, man. I, I that's that's cool. I know you, you talk about a few of your inspirations in life and but who are some of the artists that inspire you? They can be like uh, dead or alive, you know, the, the Renaissance and up. Like what like what inspires you besides Bob Ross? So Bob Ross, of course, you know, was the initial one. Um, but if I had to, there's so many, there's so many different ones. There's one specific person I know for a fact and uh, influences me a lot, um, especially when it comes to my color choices. I love color, as, as you know. Um, and it might be cliche saying this, but Van Gogh. Van Gogh is by far one of my favorite artists of all time. Fuck that. That is not cliche at all. Van Gogh is my favorite artist as well. Fuck that. He, that. That man was brilliant and way above his time. So that ain't cliche. Like uh, his brushwork, his color choices, like I said. Um, everything, like the... The thing I remember um, that did really influence me, at, even at a young age, of just like the first thing I saw that was like, wow, you know, in, in, in real, was The Starry Night. Uh, I didn't know anything about art. You know, as, as a young kid, you don't really know much artists in like, uh, like um, Monet's or Van Gogh's or anything like that. You don't know anything. But that was like the first piece that as a kid, I knew the name of the piece and who painted it. And I was like, I felt like I was the only one just because of where I was at and stuff. Um, not a lot of kids in my area kind of knew or it, it was more like they didn't pay. We didn't pay much attention to that stuff. You know, it was all about video games, all about playing outside and all that. But yeah, I mean, the art appreciation doesn't come until later in life for most people. But the yeah. fact that you saw that and appreciated it as, as a, I mean, a child, it, it kind of says something about you and your love for art. So, yeah. Yeah, it was, like, so amazing, man. Like, his cityscape and the way he the, – the way that the sky just danced. And and even when as a kid, like, I understood that. Like, this was a beautiful piece of work. So, Van Gogh, definitely. Um, my weirdness, like, Salvador Dali is one of my favorites just because of how weird and abstract his world and his universes can be, at least in his paintings and stuff. Um recent like more recent people that inspire me like i love 1000 1000's got that specific unique style that when you see a piece from him like you know he did it so i really really yeah yeah he uh there's no denying a 1000 piece it's like as soon as you see it you're like oh yeah that's 1000 i mean that that dude's got a very unique style so no i get that for sure um and Jazza is another YouTuber I watch a lot that I feel I connect with a lot just because of his experimentation. Like every time I see a video of his, it's the ones that I've like I'm attracted to. It's always like, oh, I found a new medium. Let's go try this out. Or I see I saw this this trend. Let's go try that out. Like he's not scared, you know, to uh, go out of his comfort zone or just try something new. And I find myself doing that, too, is like I, I'll see like a like a new style or I'll see someone do a painting or do like a technique and I'll be like, Whoa, that looks really cool. I want to try that. Or sure. I'll, 
I'll be, you know, roaming around like Joanne's or, or like Michael's or something. And um, I'll look at it, something new, like a new medium and be like, what is that? And I'll read up about it. I'm like, that looks fun. Let's try that. So he does a lot of that stuff. He's very experimental. And I just love his videos, man. He's very entertaining. So Jazza definitely is one of those that um, when I'm looking for inspiration or bored, I'll definitely watch his videos and he'll get me, he'll get me back up for sure. That's awesome. Now I know you're you, you love punk rock almost as much as I do, maybe even more. Like, do you find inspiration in music and things like that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely, man. It music has a huge influence, a scary huge influence in my pieces. Like so much so that when I start a piece, and especially if it's a piece that I know what I'm gonna do, I have to be careful with what I'm listening to, because. If I'm like going into this piece nice and mellow and listening to like classical or lo-fi or some like modern jazz or something, and then my punk hits or my metal hits or something even like something crazy like that, my piece can take a crazy turn. And so like I have to be careful, you know, but definitely, definitely music has a huge influence, not only in my life, but in my work. Absolutely. I, I feel the same way. Like, I, I've, I've been making an art playlist for like months that I just keep adding songs to it. If I hear something that inspires me, I just throw it on that playlist. And uh, yeah, I just, and it, it runs the gamut. So uh, maybe my stuff can get a little crazy at times, but you know, I definitely feel that. But sometimes it gets a little crazy and that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. Uh, let's, um, let's just switch gears here a little bit. I want to talk about your streetwear. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I know that you just uh, ran a successful Kickstarter. You want to talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So the Kickstarter was, um, well, real quick, just to back up. the <clears throat> When I started designing stuff, um, I had a name called Disastrous Nolan. And the, the reason why it came out or became a thing was um, when I moved to Alaska, like I said, on the peninsula, there's only like Walmart and Fred Meyer. There's the only two places that you can actually purchase like graphic tees. Um, or anything for like the younger, you know, uh, the younger generation, that younger um, uh, part of the community here. And sure. there's other places where you can get like really cool custom stuff, but uh, they're mostly like boutiques and stuff. So if you're into that style, cool. There's a couple here that are really, really awesome and priced at boutique prices. You know what I mean? Sure. But if yeah. you're not into that style, all you got is Fred Meyer and Walmart, man. So I was like, you know what? I let's try it out. And the graphics actually started as sticker designs, because okay, you know what? People love stickers. I can design stickers. I did. Who the doesn't love stickers? Nolan, yeah, right. Uh, I did the first design, which is um, Nolan. What what I called Nolan himself. And this is basically this is basically it. I did this, right? And I did it on my iPad. And when I outlined it to get it to give it that sticker outline, I realized, dude, this would look dope on a shirt. So then I plastered it on a shirt and I ordered, I found, I did a bunch of research on where it was that I wanted to get a shirt, right? I actually, with my art and stuff, I've made shirts and utilized things like Society6 and Redbubble and all those other uh, places where other artists can get things like plastered on. And um, nothing against those companies. It's just I, that wasn't what I was looking for, right? So right yeah. off the bat, I already knew what they had. So I was looking for other companies, and I found one called Art of Wear. Um, I absolutely love them. 
They're a company that's like out of Canada, I believe, and they have a uh, print shop over in New York and stuff. So it's a small company, and that's where I wanted to stay like that. I wanted to try and support as many small businesses as possible. Mm -hmm. So I went back, I ordered a shirt, and when it got here, I was blown away. I was not expecting the quality that that shirt was. It was comfortable. The graphic was nice and vibrant. It was just printed awesome, and it lasted. Um so much so that everyone else uh, around me that I showed the T-shirt to, including a really cynical friend of mine, um, like we all have one of those, <laughs> uh, thought that it was something that you would purchase as a store. So right away, I was like, "Perfect! It looks like it looks professional." So yeah. it started like that, man. I made a couple graphics and stuff for different T-shirts, and um, little by little, it. it transformed or evolved into nolan so what nolan stands for what what i want nolan to be is it's a it's a, a streetwear streetwear but it's also like a creative wear so when people see the nolan brand whether it's a hat you see it on the neck tag of the t-shirt or anything on the hoodies anything like that you know that it's artists supporting other artists so this brand is made by artists for artists right it is supposed to inspire creativity and you know like lift you up if you're ever in a funk of like creative just uh, like a creative quicksand if you will so that's my dream that's beautiful that's beautiful man that's beautiful so the kickstarter sorry for that long-winded explanation the kickstarter no no man that's great <laughs> it was basically that it was it was the start of my rebranding from that disastrous nolan to just nolan so people can see that this is that creative wear. And my, my goal is to actually, you know, like collab with some artists to bring out like some limited or special edition garments or prints or something on the website and just blast it on the socials. Um, that way we'll help that artist get their name out. We'll help artists that don't really know how to get into the garment scene, you know, how to start in there, where they can go to get all their stuff. But more importantly, I'm bringing that process back home. That's what the Kickstarter was supposed to be for. So I got me a heat press. I got me uh, a bunch of different like things to be able to plaster that stuff on, uh, hoodies and stuff like that. So the Kickstarter had a bunch of tears, man. One was for that patch that I just showed you. The other one yeah. was for uh, a soft enamel pin, the the hoodie that I kind of wanted to start everything with. And we, I, um, I uh, collabed or I partnered up with an individual and it's, if I name drop, I know I've been name dropping here all day, but um, it cut and burn studios, man. I partnered up with cut and burn studios to burn me some leather tags for some beanies, just so not only to support cut and burn studios, right, but to further expand on that whole artist or the artist wear the art made by artists for other artists. So when you came sure. and you bought, you know, the this tier or that tier. And you were getting that beanie, you were not only supporting me, but supporting that other individual. Because then I would have to then turn around and purchase all of those leather tags that this individual would custom burn for. And they did an amazing job. The amount of research they did, things that they didn't actually have to go out of their way to do, they did. Just because of, again, like most of us artists, love that process, love that. Yeah. That's what they were yeah. into. So we started, I really dig. I really dig cut and burn stuff. Uh, they do some really cool designs and kind of are taking that whole 
taking a whole new approach with what they're doing. So that's really awesome that you were able to partner up with them and, uh, and release this part as part of your Kickstarter, because that's like your initial new drop. So having them be a part of it, that's really, really cool. Um, now I know you were, you had a successful Kickstarter, but how successful was like how, how much, what, what was your initial goal? So my initial goal on the Kickstarter was $700. And at the end of it, after the 30 days, uh, we were about nine dollars away from twenty five hundred bucks. That's awesome. So that that's that that's support right there, man. The, the artist yeah. community supported. And, uh, I, I know I jumped in on that, which yeah, that dude, that that's awesome. Congratulations, man. That's that's really cool. Now, I know you you talking about like your hoodies yeah. and um, you have shirts, and I, I see you wearing your Nolan hat. And you said you got some beanies as well. Um, do you, what what kind of products do you have lined out for the future, or, or is that like a trade secret you don't want to release those yet? No, no, no way, man. Um, I so future stuff right now. I'm looking into uh, finishing up that Kickstarter. Um, my plan or my goal is to actually partner up with a uh, another artist to do like some T-shirts or something. Possibly, I'm hoping to go uh, to start this in January-ish, um, if not, like, definitely in the summertime. I have one specific artist that I do want to partner up with for some summer wear, just because their artistic style, I really feel screams summer. And I want to do tie-dye stuff. So I want to get this stuff printed on some tie-dye shirts. I'm even thinking oh, think- of... You know, I think I know who you're talking about. I think I think I, I'm picking up what you're laying down. I'm not going to name drop because I, I want to keep that a secret. But I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, <laughs> that that would be really cool. Bringing the the Nolan in with some tie dye stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. that so, that sounds awesome. At this point, it's more of like whatever happens happens. I'm going at it as clear headed as possible. That's like, so basically the sky's the limit for you. You're like, anything and everything, I want to try it all, you know, and and find what works and and like stick to that vein, but keep pushing the limits for your streetwear. That's that's really awesome. Now, I know you live in Alaska. You say you keep referring to where you live as the peninsula. Um, And you've talked about selling artwork there, but how does your street art actually fare there? Do you make a lot of sales there from your street art or... Um, or is so, there even street art there? I mean, are people like doing graffiti in snow? I, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. So, um, <laughs> graffiti there's, sculptures? There's a couple of parks around here, man, that have like some graffiti, but it it, may, it mainly just looks like vandalism. Um, okay. Practicing. I don't know. There's a couple spots that have some really, really cool stuff, but so much as like, like you know, good word art, good graffiti art. Um, good like actual mural stuff uh not so much because the community is very old school in the terms of like they like to keep stuff the way it is and there's not a lot of walls to be honest to where we could do that stuff um like under the bridges is a big place for obvious reasons right you yeah, yeah, yeah. Really get caught there and uh, again but the same thing dude there's not really like that really cool artistic stuff that i'm used to back you know back home but um Street art, uh, I can tell you my experiences of actually trying to sell my stuff. A lot of my abstract pieces that have, like, some type of shape or form or something over it, like, 
I, I do bird. I still do birds and stuff. So, so a lot of my pieces I have animals or my faces, but they have like crazy streety backgrounds. Uh, those do very well, but my straight up just street art. Um, again, the community is very old school. They love their art, their Alaskan art, and that's one of the things that I refuse to do. Like you know, I got those rules, man, and one of those is I don't do what the mainstream likes. And here, they like you know your landscapes, which. Funnily enough, that's how I started. I hate doing landscapes now. I like despise doing landscapes. <laughs> oh, you're breaking Bob Ross's heart right now. Oh man, and, and I feel like you're starting to get the hair going. You just need to grow yourself a beard. <laughs> so my street art kind of struggles. Um, the streetwear at the demographic that I'm trying to hit, like in the summertime when I'm out and about and actually selling it in the summer does pretty good um with the younger demographic strangely enough uh some of the older individuals that i have come by my booth actually my the demographic of people that come and buy my stuff is very weird they're either like high school or a little younger or a little older like it's almost never in the middle um unless they're from out of state and you can gotcha. too. so if i got somebody around my age even in the 40s or anything like that come by my booth and starts looking at like my punky stuff like i know right off the bat like this guy's a punk and so we'll sit in there start talking and i'll find out he's like from cali or like from new york or something and they were deep in the scene and they miss all their music and they're here either visiting or they're here for work or whatever so it's really really cool to bump into those people but sure. in the normal day-to-day stuff um i my actual art like I, I have such a crazy uh how do I say it? Like um a diverse styles just mm-hmm. because the board, but my street art, there's a specific demographic that'll get it. But because I have a wide variety or big diverse in styles, it's not that I can't sell my stuff. You know, it's like certain stuff sells good here, certain stuff sells good there, you know. Sure. Uh, that makes total sense. Um, so since, uh, you know, initially this, this interview was supposed to be for my, my Halloween, I do want to switch gears a little bit, uh, and talk to you about, uh, you know, the horror genre that, uh, I'm doing this being based on, but, um, like, I, I don't even know, are you, are you even a Halloween or horror fan? I just wanted to feature you in my zine and then I'm like, fuck it, let's do a podcast. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, cause you know, I don't have enough shit stacked on my plate as this, so uh, I just keep piling it on, and I, I don't sleep. So uh, for anybody who's watching, I, I do a Halloween that I, I do like scary art in because it's kind of fun to kind of break down and get away from some other stuff. Um, but you know, I wanted to uh, feature Nolan here in the zine, and that was my list initial thing. But so we're going to talk a little bit about a horror, and uh, we'll, we'll, you know, I don't even know if you're a horror Halloween fan. I mean, do you like that kind of shit, or what's what? What do you what do you into? Um, so like, uh, I I watch I used to watch a lot of movies, man, and I actually did consider myself at one point in my life a huge movie buff. Um, but horror movies have always been something that I stayed away from, and I feel like it's because how I grew up. Um, I grew up really. My mom like was really has shied me away from that like genre of movie. Like one of my. <laughs> youngest experiences that I remember watching a horror movie that was kind of like the, the point where I was like, oh, yeah, this isn't for me. Um, and 
if my cousin's watching this, you'll I hope you remember the story. But um, a lot of those movies I would either watch at like my friend's house or my cousin's house because they weren't a lot at my house. And I was over at my cousin's house, and it wasn't a point like I just we weren't watching this to watch. It was just they were watching it while I was there, right? But the the movie was uh, Wishmaster, I believe. Yeah. Okay. And so, like the beginning of it, if I remember correctly, man, at least the part where I walked in, the the, the part of the movie was um, they're like in hell, I guess, in a, in a bar, or like a cantina or something, and the the camera's kind of like moving along, and so there's a lot of monsters and demons and stuff down there, and um, as a kid, normally you would get you would think you'd get like that's the point where you'd get freaked out, but I was actually more fascinated like how they were doing this is this one part where this skeleton gets up from a table and like walks off. And my brain was like, how did they do that? Like, how did they get up and walk? Like, that was amazing. But then, and how old were you at this point? Oh, I don't even remember, dude. It was like five or so. I don't remember how old I was. I was pretty young. Oh, yeah. So the, the concept of animatronics and things like that or, or even like CGI was not even in, in the scope of your reality at that point. Right, right. Like watching the movie now, it's it definitely stop motion. Right? <laughs> like it, was, it was very old school stop motion, so you obviously know it's fake. But to my, to a kid, you know, it's like brand new, and this was like really crazy. But the movie keeps going, and like it instantly gets to the point where this is a movie I don't want to watch. And it was, um, and it's like in the beginning of the scene, a guy gets smashed by like a shipping container. And that's when I was like, oh, yep, nope, done, not doing this. That's a whole lot of nope there, pal. I'm out. Yeah. I mean, you know, you have my first zine, so the story I told in there about Candyman, which I'm going to keep repeating it, fuck you, Candyman. You terrified me for 20 years. And, like, I I fucking, I went and rewatched some of the scenes as I'm writing my article for the zine, and I'm, like, getting goosebumps at almost 40 years old because I'm still, like, it traumatized me that much. So, um, you know, I, I I do love horror movies. Um, I, I love the aesthetic of horror movies and how you know the the concept of symmetry kind of goes out the window. Because I'm a very asymmetrical person, uh, so I you know I don't have to have things perfect. The more fucked up things are in a horror movie, the better it looks. So for me, I'm like this is fucking perfect because I can have an eye up here and an eye down here, and people are like. That's horror as fuck, and and I don't have to worry about that. It just it's not something that you know people are going to be like, uh, you don't have the eyes on straight, or the nose is crooked. You know, it doesn't matter because you know I can have an eye popped out, or I can have no eye at all. It just doesn't matter. So I get that, you know. Uh, but yeah, that's my first fucking horror movie. Still to this day, I have not revisited Candyman, and I don't think I ever will. Like I, I, I can say. Maybe on my deathbed, but then I would like I would die terrified. So I don't want to do that either. No, I, I hear um, But um, yeah, for sure. So like um, the the genre of horror, if I had to pick like the the type of movie that I actually do watch that I would consider be part of there is like probably more of like a psychological thriller or suspenseful movie. Um, like the most gory that I would say that I actually do enjoy watching is like the the Saw franchise. Okay. Sure, and those are gory as fuck, dude. Right, but, like, so from, from like, the first to the third one, I say it was, like, good. After that, it just got really ridiculous. I think it was just more gore and gore. It was, but, um, like, the first <clears throat> first Star movie, I remember very distinctly of watching it. Like, it was me and my buddy. 
we were at my in my living room. My mom wasn't home. She was at work. And my buddy's like, oh, I got this movie we got to watch. And he kind of described it to me. And I was intrigued. Uh, in high school, I was really, really into, like, psycholo- psychology and philosophy. And when I described it, it just sounded like like right up my alley at the time, right? And he he knew that I didn't really watch that style of stuff and um, was, like, shied away. So he constantly, he was like, I would always get picked on. He con- he was constantly be like, hey, don't be scared, okay? This is kind of, this is the type of movie it is, right? So you yeah, just keep I was- I was the sickest suit of the group too. I, I, I know the I know the struggle, man. Uh, but I was also the fat kid, so I had it doubly worse. So, but like I was like, dude, it's fine. What are you talking about, right? So we put this movie on, and it was like just one of those movies that from start to finish, I was just like glued to the screen, and that ending. Because because I always said earlier, I was I considered myself a movie buff. I watched a lot of movies. I was really good at predicting things. But that still didn't, like, uh, mess the movie up for me. Like, I just enjoyed the storytelling, right? But it was really good. Saw completely screwed that up for me. Like, I was, like, right when Jigsaw stands up, I was like, dude, he was there the whole Like, it just blew my mind, man. So I got – that movie initially got me into the series. The second one was, like, super good. And then the third one was, like, all right. They're pushing it, and the fourth one just kind of got through it out the way. And I, and I've seen most of them except for like the last maybe two of them, but yeah, that's probably like the worst. The worst uh, it got there, but yeah, psychological thrillers, man. Like Invisible Man. I don't know if you saw the uh, uh, the reboot, the recent Invisible Man. No, mm-hmm. in my opinion, just because of what it was about, um, and the ending. The ending was so satisfying, right? Um, uh, what is it? Um, the last house on the left was pretty hard to watch but again one of those satisfying endings that you're just like yes super, super. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but, yeah where you're like you're cheering by the end of it like i'm a big <laughs> horror comedy fan like i, I love horror comedy because yeah. like if it's if it's just straight terror for an hour and a half <laughs> and i'm like dripping the sides of my seats and i'm having to get up and pace around the living room okay but i mean like I said, I love the, the aesthetic of artwork. So horror comedy, if I can laugh and then be scared and laugh again, I'm like, oh, I'm all about that. Like, that, that's my jam. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, horror comedies aren't super scary as it is. Right. You know, they just, they're interjecting a little bit of horror and a lot of comedy. And I'm like, okay, I can get behind that shit for sure. But I've watched a lot of horror movies later in life, and I appreciate a lot of them. So, but yeah, I, I get you. I feel you there. <laughs> um, like, who would you say? Like, I know you you said the psychological tools. Would Jigsaw be like your favorite horror character? Like, have you ever painted him, or do you have like other characters that you might prefer over him? Like, I, I love Ash from Evil Dead so much, so I named my fucking kid after him. <laughs> so, I, I mean, but like, who's your favorite? To be honest, man, if I had to pick, um, I'm. I don't know if you would consider this like a horror character, um, but like the monster movies, I'm a huge monster movies fan. And uh, Godzilla is probably like Godzilla is probably my favorite. But to be honest, if I had to be be honest with myself, knowing like how many movies that are with all the Godzilla movies, my favorite, favorite Godzilla character is Mothra. I've always been a huge Mothra fan. Okay. yeah, as so much as like uh, painting and stuff like that, I actually wouldn't be. I wouldn't mind. You might actually have just let got me into painting something new. I might do a Mothra piece, man. 
Hey, that'd be dope, man. That'd be dope yeah. as fuck. And yeah, I would say that like when Godzilla was released, it was intended to scare the shit out of people. I mean, you got this huge fucking lizard guy stomping around the city and people running. Uh, that's, uh, you know, black and white. I'm sure there was some heart attacks in the crowd when that was released. So, <laughs> fuck yeah, dude. That, that's definitely what would be considered in the horror vein. We look at it now and we're like, dude, that, that, that guy, there's a guy in a suit and he's just stomping on cardboard. Yeah, so, totally. We, you know, we're desensitized to horror through yeah. the years, but I, I know, like, when some of these movies were released, like, it was terrifying. People were having, like, heart attacks in the fucking theaters. So, yeah, I get that for sure. Um, so, the theme of this this month's zine is horror comics. I know, like, I, I've seen some of your comic, like, I know you've done, like, the Jokers. Are you a comic book guy? I am, yeah. I wouldn't consider myself like an expert or like uh, I'm a fan. I'm a, I'm a comic book fan. Sure. I mean, you and I are roughly the same age. So in 1989, when Batman came out, like that was my shit. So like that was like kind of like started my whole love for Batman. And then like you know, the older you get, you're like, oh, Batman's based off comic books. Because you know, <laughs> at the time, like I had no clue. I was fucking what five years old. I just love Batman and the Joker. So, you know, uh, in, over time, as I get older and I have adult money where I can buy my own shit, right. uh, I started buying Batman comics. But what really kind of got me in was like the image comics where they do all these independent like horror stuff. So with this zine, I wanted to create artwork around that. Um, do you read any horror comics or do you have like a favorite like character that's Kind of, I mean, the Joker can be kind of a horrific, horrific character, but anything in the villain category that you find intriguing? Um, to be honest, just like the the whole villain, the idea of a villain um, has always intrigued me, man. Like the psychology that goes behind them. I don't really read um, horror comics that I can think of, you know, close to like The Walking Dead or anything. But okay. Um, uh, yeah, like the villain itself, I think would be like the closest, just because of a lot of stuff like horrific things that they've done. Um, like uh, Doctor Doom, for example, has always been one of the people that I bring up when it comes to like, in my opinion, underrated villains that are like just stupid, overpowered, and just the horrific things that that he's done. Doctor like, Doom's a that. badass. Yeah, I mean, he, he looks like a complete badass. I mean, the fucking the metal mask, that green. He's like ah. Oh. You know, fuck it, yeah, dude. Doctor Doom's a badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so like, yeah, he's done. He's done some really, really crazy, messed up stuff. Uh, the Joker, in general, like, um, just because of he doesn't really have any kind of like reasons uh, to do any of the things he does. He just does the. He just does things, you know. Pure chaos. Yeah, Pure yeah. Chaos. He's like the opposite of Batman, and that that's another thing. Like the whole Batman Rogues Gallery is. I've always been fascinated with the Batman universe because of how almost each iconic villain, in my opinion, as you can see, not only their personality, but the things that they do is almost like a part of Bruce Wayne. And so like, like uh, th let's take the Joker again. The Joker is literally like Batman's opposite. It's like if Batman had no rules, right? If he threw everything out of the way and let his sanity go, go to his head, that's basically what it would be, be the Joker. Uh, yeah. Penguin, Penguin kind of represents like what could happen if Bruce Wayne ever got corrupt, you know? Um, 
the Riddler literally is just all of Bruce Wayne's narcissistic characteristics put into you know like in, 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 in the character. So like yeah, his his rogues, his iconic rogues are literally Bruce Wayne and Batman if you think about it like that. Sure, it's, sure. It's about, man. <laughs> now, um, uh, everybody who I'm featured in the scene, I asked them to submit a piece where you can either submit something from uh, that you've already done that might be like horror based. Like it didn't have to be, but I, I, I kind of had a theme going on. So I said, hey, if you have something that's comic book based that is villains or horror, um, can you talk about the, the piece that you submitted for this? That, uh, that you, you just sent me, and I, I absolutely fucking love it. It's absolutely amazing. Thank but you. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? And, yeah. Uh, oh, and I would show it, but you have to buy the zine to see it. So right. I guess that's me being selfish a little bit no, there. No way, man. <laughs> they got to buy the zine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fifteen dollars so, on my Etsy. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, yeah, the piece I sent you, man, um, like I said, I actually, I took a huge break from comics at one point, and I didn't, I didn't buy anything, I didn't really read anything, um, I watched the movies, but that was about it, and it was a huge break, uh, until recently, um, I saw that Marvel brought out a, uh, a, it was a, uh, Gwen Stacy, or Gwen, Spidey Gwen, basically, so they, okay. they actually did, and gave her a comic run, but what got me really intrigued is not only do I have I always been kind of a fan of like Gwen Stacy in general, but um, the the comic style, the art style of this comic was like nothing I've seen in other comics. You know, it was brighter, it was sharper, it was kind of edgy, a little bit more punky, almost like a street style. You know, and sure. I really I was digging the art so. I like I was I was looking at it like who's this you know new spider woman with this really cool like white and pink outfit and a lot of the colors that she has on her outfit dude I love like pink is one of my go-to colors when it comes to painting turquoise is one of my go-to colors and so she's got like a, a pink um inline in her hood and like her webbing's kind of a turquoisey color her shoes are kind of a turquoisey color so just the colors in general I was so uh, drawn into so I started reading this comic and I really really loved the character man and that the whole universe in general, like, so Gwen Stacy ends up becoming becoming Spider Man, but you know, ends up becoming Spider Woman. Uh, Peter Parker is like her best friend and gets obsessed with the idea of Spider, the Spider individual, Spider, the Spider Woman, and wanted to become like her. So he um, does some experiments on himself and becomes the Lizard. So it's like, yeah, yeah. So the so the doc's not in it. It's him. He's the lizard, and he ends up dying, unfortunately, fighting. Well, like a completely different universe, like also oh, yeah. like part oh, yeah, of the, their. That's that's really cool. I wonder if they'll ever do any like movies like that. Well, like, uh, in that vein. Um, Spider Verse into the Spider Verse movie with Miles. So that's really cool. Uh, and that's another thing. Um, they they kind of. And I don't want to actually spoil anything in the comics, but yeah, it's, it's down the line, man. <laughs> Absolutely. So you did uh, Spider Gwen for your piece, then? Yeah, I did a version of her that she ends up getting. She ends up finding, uh, a, or she ends up becoming kind of like what uh, Peter Parker did when he got the symbiote suit. That ends up happening to Gwen as well, and she becomes Gwenna at one point. Okay. And, her costume is like just radically different and super again, you know, like that edgy 
craziness, very, very sharp. And um, just, it was, it's done really, really well. So I, like I said, I didn't know what to do so much of horror style. I know, and I know it was like comic oriented. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a, 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 a Gwenum piece. And so one of the things that um, Spidey Gwen or uh, Gwen Stacy in, introduced into her fighting style was uh, she was like, um, she practiced ballet. So she uses her, her ballet style, right, in the, and incorporates it in her fighting style. So I thought it'd be really cool to do kind of like a ballet stance, but it's almost uh, like a hero stance, kind of like, you know, yeah. making fun of them, right? So she kind of yeah. does a hero stance, but it's uh, almost ballet-esque. And she's in her full-on Gwen, uh, Gwen Pool outfit. Um, I have her kind of standing on a like a like a Venom-ish spider web kind of deal. Um, but yeah, it's super dark. Um, Dude, I, that that piece is dope. I, I can't wait to for people to see that 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 piece. It's, it looks really good, and the fact that you incorporated the ballet aspect of it, I think hardcore 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 Jesus Christ hardcore um, like. like Spider Gwen fans will appreciate that for sure. Um, so I just got a few more questions before we get out of here. Um, you know, what is what is something that you would tell your younger self? Like oh. now, as an artist, what would you go back to say, uh, high school Marco, and be like, bro? Oh, dude, especially hardcore, like high school Marco. I'd go back, and uh, first of all, I'd tell him to stop being a dumbass, like for real. <laughs> <laughs> and um i would tell him to like focus on his art 100 percent. like uh, i used to skateboard and stuff which is not bad but i had a lot of other time that i could have done things with so focus on your art um one of the stupidest things that i remember ever doing is um i had uh i took art two on one semester and i had it for like I honestly think it was two weeks, but I, I could it could have been worse. It could have been like a couple of days within the first week or something. But um, I ended up and I ended up learning the amount of time I was in there, the, the minuscule amount of time I was in there. That art teacher was so, so good that I ended up learning more in the time I was in that class than I feel like I've done in self-studies. You know, it was, it was insane. Like he taught me uh, so much stuff in that small amount of time. But I ended up trading that class for weight training because my buddies were in weight training. So like so decisions like that, man, I would I would sit him down and be like, look, you're an idiot. Stop being an idiot. And you need to focus on your art. You need to focus on graphic design and getting this doing the streetwear thing a little bit um, sooner or at least getting into um, a profession of which to do it. That way, when I get older and I'm able to, I could start doing it younger and quicker so that's, sure. that's awesome man that's good advice for yourself i mean get into it and and then start that grind earlier and, and practice and yeah definitely i hear that for sure now for anybody who is a younger artist and you know what what would some what would you say to somebody who is a younger artist or not even necessarily younger but somebody who is wanting to make art and possibly do a career out of it and do their own thing What's what's uh, one piece of advice you would give them? Um, one piece of advice I would give to the younger artists is um, take every single criticism, whether it's positive or negative, with a grain of salt. Only because um, a too much of positivity could be um, 
could kind of like uh, inflate your ego and inflate the, the mind, you know, and uh, it can lead to a downward spiral. If like you have a bunch of people telling you that it's great and then the professionals are telling you, no, it's crap. You can get very, um, that can um, um, totally like have you not want to do your art anymore. Right. And the sure. same goes with uh, negative criticism, man. Like we, as artists, we are our own worst critic anyways. So sure. Any outside influence of that, like, definitely shouldn't listen to any uh, negative critique. I mean, I think Andy Warhol was the one that actually said, um, don't worry if your piece is good or not. You know, let everybody else decide and just just keep creating. And also, regardless of whether it's good or not, you know, just keep creating, man. Make your art uh, and don't stop. Uh, but, yeah, just take everything with a grain of salt and just keep hustling. Don't let anyone discourage you at all. That's awesome, man. That's actually really good advice. I mean, uh, I, I've said that we can be our biggest critic or our big, biggest fan, and that choice is yours. Uh, and I think a healthy dose of criticism and, and fandom of your own work is good, but you don't want to get too down on yourself. You don't want to be feeling you know, like you're too fucking good at what you do. You always want to strive to be better than your last piece. So I think that's fucking great advice, bro. Um, but we're going to close it out, man. We've been on here for like over an hour um so i don't want to keep you too long but i really appreciate you stopping by and talking to me today and uh honestly we're gonna be doing this more often because you're gonna be my co-host starting on my next episode and i'm fucking stoked about that but i'm gonna leave you with a paint the fucking world and you are gonna say stay rebellious y'all Y'all come and go, but the state of mind remains.